Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It just, to me, it's so much palaver. Why would anybody care, really, if you love Bing, the baby? There it is. There, there it is. Is there any danger? SAT is, word. Is the, 40 minutes like, in. Palaver. Sorry. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> we haven't had one yet today. We're 52 minutes in, but I'm sure Peter won't disappoint. Oh, you're, I'm, I'm waiting for the right moment. I'm waiting. Yeah, hold on. Palaver. We, we had plenty of palaver in segment one, which is why we're 52 minutes into the show and we're just <laughs> starting segment number two. Uh, week one of free agency coming to a conclusion we're going to try to make sense of some of the more interesting moves that happen. And when it starts really flying, some of the things get lost in the cracks. They don't get the kind of analysis they would. We're starved for news. And then the news just falls from the sky and you miss some things. Let's begin with the commanders bringing in Jacoby Brissett on a one-year deal. $8 million guaranteed at signing, up to $10 million based on incentives. He's the guy who will compete with... Sam Howell, maybe win the job. Sam Howell's QB1. Ron Rivera later said that doesn't mean he's going to be the week one starter. But Peter, what this did, and I was so jazzed up about the possibility of the commanders making a run at Lamar Jackson. But really, why would you, if you are the commanders, not at least explore Lamar Jackson before you, you sign Jacoby Brissett and as a practical matter end any talk of trying to maybe – lure Lamar away from Baltimore. This is the only player in my, or the only team in my opinion, excuse me, the only team in my opinion that is, it's nonsensical for them not to consider Lamar Jackson. And again, you could sit here and say right now, well, you know, he's missed too much time. We can't rely on him to stay healthy. We can't blah, 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 whatever it is. Okay, but does it hurt you at all to go and take a meeting with Lamar Jackson and his mom or whoever might be helping him, if anybody, in representation? 
what actually would hurt? You know, to me, I'm going to be critical of this Monday in my column. I don't understand why Washington, unless they are madly in love with Sam Howell, and they view him as the second coming of Sonny Jurgensen, I don't get not looking into uh, a guy who quarterbacks like this are never on the market, even though there are problems. And even though if he tells us, listen, we don't even need to meet unless you're willing to talk about four years fully guaranteed. Okay, then we're not going to meet. But at least look into it. Look him face to face and just basically say, what is the real story in your free agency and what do we have to do to get you to at least consider working with us and maybe working on an offer with us? I agree with you completely, Peter. The commanders made the most sense. I got excited over the weekend when they signed Deron Payne at a time when they didn't need to sign Deron Payne, but it created $9.5 million in cap space. I started doing the math. I realized, oh, they could do this if they want to. Maybe they will. Maybe, maybe this crackpot narrative I've been pushing is finally going to be correct. And then they started signing guys early in the week, and I thought, oh, there goes some of that cap space. And then Jacoby Brissett, in my mind, was the final nail. But why not at least explore Lamar Jackson? We're going to have an update on the sales situation of the franchise. But I just thought for so many reasons it made sense. It makes the team better. It gives Daniel Snyder one last thing he can do to help make the team better. It ties the hands of the buyer to make the gigantic escrow payment next year. That gigantic escrow payment on a multi-year fully guaranteed deal is due March 31 of 2024. And it's a middle finger to the league, to the powers that be that don't want fully guaranteed contracts as Daniel Snyder is walking off into the sunset. There were so many reasons why it made sense, but ultimately it makes your team better. If you could pilfer Lamar Jackson from the Ravens, your team is better. And Peter, the one caveat to the extent that Dan Snyder even considered to the extent he's even involved at this point in anything that's going on the one caveat I would add is this if any other team would sign Lamar Jackson to a five-year fully guaranteed contract the Deshaun Watson formula that Lamar clearly wants if anybody else does it I don't think Steve Bashotti matches if Dan Snyder does it I got a feeling Bashotti matches I got a feeling he does and maybe that's I don't, reason I don't, alone I don't see for Snyder it. not to even pursue it. I don't see it. <clears throat> but, Mike, you're forgetting one thing. And that is that, you know, Dan Snyder, evidently, from what you hear, wants $7 million or $7 billion for this franchise. And nobody has offered $7 billion yet. What happens if you sign Lamar Jackson, your fan base for the first time in 100 years, not only do you sign Lamar Jackson, but you do it and you say, I am going to sell the franchise completely. And, uh, and you make it be known to the officials who are doing the negotiating, <clears throat> I'm going to sell, but only if I get $7 billion. So somebody's got to come up to do that $7 billion. Aren't you, as a buyer going to be tempted to have a 26-year-old former most valuable player as your quarterback in his prime, uh, aren't you going to be tempted to then say, ah, oh, damn it, I'll go up from 6.5 to 7 because 
I'm going to have a quarterback who's going to allow me to compete with Dallas and Philadelphia. I love that you said that. I thought you were going the other way because the pushback that I got for the crackpot theory that the commanders should do this is, oh, it's going to drive down the sale price. They're going to they're going to account for the two hundred fifty million dollar contract. Well, no you got to spend your cap dollars anyway. There's a cap and a floor. You got to spend on players. And if Snyder's the one who takes the slings and arrows from the powers that be for stepping out of the we don't do fully guaranteed quarterback contracts line of thinking, that's great. You did it. I don't get blamed for it. I walk into this. I get the guy I want. The team is better. The team is more attractive. We are contenders. Yeah, I I think it does make it more attractive, and it does help you get to the number that you're trying to get to. All right, so regardless, and I don't want to take anything away from Jacoby Brissett. I think – He did well last year under difficult circumstances in Cleveland. He has been better than average. He's been in some tough spots. He was the guy that was there in Indianapolis when Andrew Luck suddenly retired in uh, August of 2019, and he did well for himself then. I think he's been underrated and not properly respected given the things he's had to do and the situations he's had to be in. And now this is another potentially difficult situation where he may be the better quarterback right now than Sam Howell but they want to see what they have in Sam Howell and they want to see if he can blossom into their franchise guy. You know, look, this is, this is nothing against Jacoby Brissett. I think Jacoby Brissett is a very good backup quarterback in the NFL. That's what I think he is. I mean, does anybody think that Jacoby Brissett is a, if, if you were to have your choice of, uh, going out and getting a quarterback on the market this year, okay? Would you think that Jacoby Brissett was one of the best one or two choices? I, there's no way I would think of that. I mean, first of all, he's not a better option than Jimmy Garoppolo, even with Garoppolo's injury history. And you know, point to me over the years when Jacoby Brissett has been given the chance that he has played consistently at a playoff level. And again, I'm not criticizing Jacoby Brissett. I'm just saying he is what he is. And and to think that Jacoby Brissett is all of a sudden going to blossom into this guy who is going to make you a 12-win team or a threat to win 12 games, you're deluding yourself. Well... Look, between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, it's hard to have high hopes for the commanders this year, but they do have some good it pieces is. around the quarterback position. We'll see what they can do. I, I think we're on the same page, though, that, that Lamar Jackson would have made a lot of sense, and it seems like that ship has sailed. All right, the Broncos and Russell Wilson made a lot of sense last year until it didn't. Now Jared Stidham jumps from the Raiders to Denver. We all thought that Josh McDaniels would find a way to keep Stidham around as the backup to presumably – Jimmy Garoppolo, but uh, Stidham now in Denver with a two-year, $10 million deal, $5 million guaranteed. Is this a situation where Stidham is there, Peter, to put pressure on and in turn push Russell Wilson to be better than he was last year? I think there's a couple of reasons why this deal got done. Number one, Denver did not have a satisfactory backup quarterback. And when Sean Payton looks at this team this year, he said, we cannot go into this year with the possibility 
that Brett Rippon will play multiple games at quarterback. It's just not smart. <clears throat> and so I think Peyton looked at this and he said, I do have confidence that Russell Wilson is going to turn this around. And I do believe that I can work with him and he's going to be good to very good again. But let's just say that it's Halloween and Sean Payton wakes up and he just says to himself, man, it's not working. And I owe this organization, I owe the Walton Penner clan and George Payton my best effort to win as many games as we can this year. And, and Mike, no matter what anybody will say, I've heard everybody say, well, you got to keep Wilson at least three years. No, you don't. You got to keep him two years. This is the year. And then you have to take... This is the year. Yeah. You have to take the bath of all salary cap baths in 2024. But there's no guarantee for Russell Wilson beyond this year. <clears throat> and all I'm saying is that I think, and I've thought this since the end of the season... The most fascinating prospect of all of those who are going to come free at quarterback is Jarrett Stidham for a very simple reason. Look at the situation that Jarrett Stidham stepped into. Last two games of the season, Derek Carr is either exiled from the team or he walks away, you know, I don't want to be a distraction. I mean, I think it's total horse crap that he wasn't there the last two weeks to support Jarrett Stidham. But it, it was what it was. And so now you look at Jarrett Stidham. He has to play against the toughest defense Las Vegas will face all season. And that's the San Francisco 49ers in week 17, uh, you know, in, in a game that after you lose on Christmas in Pittsburgh, in a game that... <clears throat> is not meaningless, but it's not altogether meaningful either. And what does he do? He has the best game all year of any... He has the best passing performance all year, a better passing performance than Derek Carr had in any of his 15 games as the quarterback. And so I looked at that, and I see him put up, whatever, 34 points, I think three touchdowns against the Niners. And and look, there's no question in my mind when you look at that game, you have to say, I'd love to be able to work with this guy. And Mike, I thought coming out of the combine, after meeting with people at the combine, I mentally said to myself, well, Vegas is going to re-sign Jared Stidham. No question about it. And I believe they wanted to re-sign Jared Stidham, but... I don't think they wanted to pay him the guarantee or the total that Denver uh, offered him, you know, basically for two late season starts. And so I understand why this happened. But the end, the, the, the bottom line story is if you're Russell Wilson, you understand right now that this is all about performance. And if I don't perform this year in the first half of the season, I could be in trouble for my job. The reality on Russell Wilson is very simple. Next year, let me back up a step. $124 million was fully guaranteed at signing in the Russell Wilson deal. That covers 22, 
23, and 24. Next year, next April, $37 million becomes guaranteed in 25 if he's on the roster the fifth day of the 2024 league year, about this time next March. How can you in good conscience, if he's as bad this year as he was last year, if it was him, not You're Nathaniel not Hackett? And I've, you've picked up some comments along the way that make it sound like maybe they think it was Hackett. Peyton said, we saw a lot of the old Russell Wilson the last two games of 2022. In other words, that's when Hackett was gone and Jerry Rossberg was in charge and he was more of the guy that he was in Seattle. So th- there's a chance it wasn't Wilson. But if it was Wilson, how in good conscience can you commit to 37 more fully guaranteed, 37 million in additional fully guaranteed dollars in 25 if he stinks in 23? So yeah, it'll be a massive cap hit. They'll have to figure it out. Post June 1 release, cut him, trade him, whatever, get him off the freaking or feckin' roster as the case may be. This is it. This is it. Yeah. When, you know, SpotRack does a great job of showing all the contract details. And they, they project when the potential out is. When's that year that the team can move on? And for the Broncos, it's comfortably after 2025. There isn't going to be 2025. There isn't going to be 2024 if he stinks in 2023. And look, I thought all along, I kept reading how D'Amico Ryans was the favorite in Denver and, and all this. And I, you know, Mike, I, I I don't know the truth. I really don't know the truth. But that's, there was only one coach to get the job in Denver, in my opinion. Only one coach. You are so indebted and so in the hole right now with Russell Wilson that, you know, to bring in D'Amico Ryans and whoever would be the quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator of the team. How is that going to be better than Sean Payton? You know, and so, again, I don't know really what happened at the end there, but I just thought there was only one coach ever that would have been smart for Denver to hire. They hired him, and now he's going to see if he can get to the bottom of Russell Wilson. If he can't, I think he'll start to make magic with Jarrett Stidham, or at least try to. Yes, and uh, look, the bottom line is Peyton's the guy who's going to be there well into the future. Russell Wilson, unless he plays better, will not be. When the Chiefs traded for Orlando Brown Jr. a couple of years ago, we thought he would be in Kansas City well into the future. It ended up being two years. They didn't franchise tag him at what would have been $19.99 million. He becomes a free agent. I think he wanted more than he got, but he ultimately settled for a four-year, $16 million per year deal with the Bengals. Peter, why do you think Brown ended up getting such a low number relative to the top left tackles and top right tackles currently being paid in the NFL? This is, to me, the most surprising thing so far in free agency, Mike. I, I think that, you know, when I was at, when I was at the scouting combine and I was talking to people about uh, who, who's really going to get paid this year, uh, who's who's going to make the most money this year? I, I I had three different people tell me that, you know, uh, on the offensive side of the football, not on the offensive line, and you really can't include quarterbacks in this, um, you know, so in other words, non-quarterbacks, 
because look, I thought Jimmy G was going to do a little better than than twenty two or twenty two five, but but be that as it may, all the non quarterbacks on offense, I think everybody thought at least three people who I talked to thought that the highest paid guy was going to be Orlando Brown. And I think it's a surprise. There's no question about it. If you look at it, Mike, what I find really interesting is that, you know, when I looked this up at Over the Cap before the show, um, and you're right, Over the Cap and, and Spot Track do, uh, do a really good job of, of basically putting things in perspective. And if you look at all of the right, all of the left tackles in football, the guy who signed the most recent contract, Orlando Brown, is the tenth highest paid left tackle, and that is shocking when you consider it because a lot of these contracts are fairly old. You know the Trent Williams contract, Laramie Tunsil contract, you know Ronnie Stanley contract. Those are old contracts, and relatively speaking. And so uh, to be the, the, the 10th best contract at left tackle, I just think it's really surprising. And you ask why. I think the reason why is that I think people looked at uh, Orlando Brown as a good to very good left tackle. They didn't look at him as a top three or four left tackle. And I think that's the reason why he ended up going lower. And again, Mike, this contract says a lot of things to me. Number one, I think it's a great deal for the Cincinnati Bengals because now you now have three guys on your roster capable of starting at tackle in the NFL. And now your your incumbent left tackle, Jonah Williams, you would think would go to the right side now. You'd think, but we'll see. And if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm thinking, look, this is what I really needed, even if eventually I'm going to lose one of my two great wide receivers. We need to be better on the offensive line. And so if I'm Joe Burrow, I really like this signing. I like it a lot. And I think the Bengals did a smart thing in not rushing into this contract in the first day of free agency, but waiting until basically day three or four, whenever it got done. And to me, it's a good outcome for the team, a good outcome for the quarterback. And Orlando Brown has to be thinking, I probably thought I was going to do better. I'd love to know more about the details of what was offered by the Chiefs last year, what was offered by the Ravens before they traded him to the Chiefs. He had a change in representation, and now I think it's somebody like a family member or somebody connected to him in some way other than the firm he had before. And look, for $16 million a year, Peter, if I'm Orlando Brown, I'm saying I'm doing a one-year deal and I'm trying this again next year after a year with the Bengals. What makes it an even better deal for the Bengals is they got a four-year contract from Orlando Brown Jr. at a reasonable rate as they try to build out a roster that has reasonably priced players around Joe Burrow, the guy who's eventually going to get a gigantic contract and be the center of the universe for the Bengals for years to come. Let's take a break. We'll continue to recap week one of free agency, including a look at what the Eagles have been up to. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this.
Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. They may not both make it to the Hall of Fame pro football style. They could both make it to the Eyebrow Hall of Fame, though, especially Jason Kelsey. That's an impressive <laughs> pair residing above his eye sockets. I love that. I think it's a great look. I would never trim those babies down. Uh, looks like a, cat, a couple of caterpillars trying to decide whether to fight or mate, frankly. Okay. That's <laughs> going to... <laughs> All right. Uh, the Eagles getting through week one of free agency, knowing that they had 20 guys ready to hit the market. Some guys have left. Some guys have stayed. Some guys that we thought were going to leave end up, ended up staying. Let's start with uh, Fletcher Cox and Darius Slay. Cox hit the open market. And look, he's on the downside of the career. You can't play interior defensive line forever. Uh, and uh, he decides to stay on a one-year deal worth $10 million. Slay was the surprise, though. We hear he wants to be traded. He doesn't want to be traded. He's going to be cut. He's not cut. Now he's got a three-year, $39 million contract when the dust settles on all of this. What a crazy week for Slay and the Eagles, Peter. I was surprised. I met with... Um... Howie Roseman, the general manager and, and architect of a fabulous roster in Philadelphia. Uh, I met with him at the Super Bowl, recorded a, a podcast conversation with him. Nothing that he said, but I just got the distinct impression that the Eagles were going to have to make some hard decisions after this season. And some of the veterans that helped them get to this Super Bowl were not going to be around in 2023. And I have been surprised. I'm not surprised at all at James Bradbury. Uh, And I'm also not really surprised at Brandon Graham because I do think that James Bradbury played to a very high level uh, for the Eagles and deserved a, a new contract at not the highest paid cornerback rate of pay, but at a decent rate. And, and that's what he got. And, In addition, I'm not surprised at Brandon Graham because they have figured out in Philadelphia with Brandon Graham, age is a number. If, if you control how many snaps he plays and you watch it very carefully, and even though 
I'm guessing this year he only played probably 20% of the snaps. Uh, 25 maybe. I should have looked it up. But he didn't play that many snaps this year. And the result was the first double-digit sack season of his career. And the Eagles want their defensive line to come at you in waves. And I'm sure that's why they re-signed Fletcher Cox as well. But every one of those guys who you sign basically takes away who else you can sign at a younger level and also means that there are more guys that you have to sign, uh, more guys who you have to have on the roster at very minimum rates of pay. So again, far be it from me to question a guy who did a great job putting his roster together. But when I saw, especially Darius Slay and Fletcher Cox this week, the one thing that it said to me was, it surprises me because Howie Roseman is always looking long-term. He's always looking very much forward. And I just hope for his sake that these contracts don't end up sort of biting him or biting the Eagles. When you think about the age of these players, Cox is 32, Slay is 32, Graham will be 35 very soon. I wonder how much of a premium (coughs) the Eagles placed on continuity of veteran leadership on the defense with a change in coordinators. That if Jonathan Gadden hadn't gotten the Cardinals head coaching job and was still there, would they have felt the same urgency to keep some of these older guys that are the glue of the defense around? And maybe it would have been some of the younger guys stay and the older guys go. Uh, I, I hadn't thought of that until you were talking about it, but you need continuity. And this is a team that is going to be tested by both coordinators leaving to become head coaches elsewhere in only the third season for Nick Sirianni as head coach of the team. On the offensive side of the ball, we talked about Jason Kelsey. He decided to stay. He'll be there for a 13th season. And, uh, you know, they've kept some guys, uh, but they have lost some guys. And they added a guy last night with uh, Marcus Mariota taking over as the backup to Jalen Hurts. Gardner Minshew joins the Colts. Marcus Mariota is in as the backup. And, Peter, I like this move for one very simple reason. When you have a quarterback who is your starter, who runs the ball a lot, who has a high degree of mobility, it makes sense to back him up with a guy who has similar skill set. If you have a different quarterback, a different skill set, you basically need two playbooks, one for when the starter's in and one for when the backup's in. Having Mariota there makes it more seamless in the event that Jalen Hurts gets injured and they have to go to another guy. And you say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is it puts extra pressure on the rest of the players on offense to adapt to the different attack under the different quarterback. This is going to be more apples to apples if Hurts gets injured in 2023 and Mariota has to come in. Yeah, and and look, Mike, I also think you know, you mentioned Jason Kelsey. Let's talk about their offense for a second. I like the addition of, of Marcus Mariota, um, you know, coming off knee surgery, obviously, and a hugely disappointing year uh, for him personally in Atlanta where they handed him the starting job and he lost it. Uh, but I do think <clears throat> not that Marcus Mariota is, you know, consigned to being a backup for the rest of his life. But he's probably now entering that 
part of his career where he's going to be a backup quarterback. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think what helps this team, and look, this is a little bit contrary to what I was just saying about keeping all your older guys uh, and how that isn't always the smartest decision. I mean, and I realize how how old uh, Kelsey is. But I do think in Jason Kelsey, if you look at the last couple of years, how he's played, you know, and again, we say whatever we want about, and I know some people are critical of the pro football focus uh, rankings of players. I am not. I think pro football focus does a fabulous job. And last year, uh, he was the second highest rated center in football by pro football focus right behind Creed Humphrey of Kansas City. And he was one of only two uh, centers to have uh, a rating above 80 in the uh, in pass protection and a rating above 90 in, in, uh, run, in your run ranking. And so I think I'm not worried about Jason Kelsey and how he's going to play. And I do think that it's a positive that he comes back but I, I also think that now the attention has to turn to uh, has to turn to what you're going to do with Jalen Hurts and sort of plotting out how exactly you're going to do his contract over the long term because clearly now he's become a top ten if not top five quarterback in the NFL and you've got to make sure that you figure out a way to cap wise and money wise that you're going to take care of him. And one of the realities of knowing that you're going to have to pay a lot of money to your quarterback is you can't keep everyone. Javon Hargrave, great defensive lineman, leaves on a four-year, $84 million contract with the 49ers. Now, we understand that the Eagles can't pay everyone, but, God, the 49ers are finding a way to pay everyone, especially on the defensive line. They've got Nick Bosa, who is overdue, frankly, for his second contract. Why do you think so much has been invested, Peter, in Hargrave when – Defensive line is already a strength of the San Francisco 49ers. Well, when I saw that, I thought two things. Number one, you know, I think as John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan look at their team, they think they're going to be good on offense, but they're not positive who's playing quarterback for them and what kind of performance they're going to get over 17 games at the quarterback position. That's why they signed Sam Darnold. That is an intriguing, one of the intriguing signings of the week. I think they signed Javon Hargrave for a very simple reason. John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan understand that they're going to play their share of 21 to 13 games this year, 19 to 16, whatever, that they are going to play some games where the defense is going to have to win. They lose D'Amico Ryan's. And, you know, who was a beloved defensive coordinator. And now, obviously, with Steve Wilkes coming in, they want to make absolutely sure that that defense does not miss a beat. And the way you do that, the way the the 49ers have shown that in recent years, is just like Philadelphia, you stockpile as many people as you can on the defensive line and bring those people in waves. And that's what the 49ers have done. And I think what this means to San Francisco, it's the acknowledgement 
that we want to make sure that our defense does not take even half an inch going backward without the coordinator, without some of the other puzzle pieces on defense. Mike, you noticed in the first week of free agency that teams are taking some of the lesser guys off of the 49ers defense. Aziz Al-Shair, an excellent linebacker in special teams, keystone for the 49ers, goes to Tennessee. Uh, I can tell you from having covered the Niners a lot the last couple of years, they love that player, and now he's gone. Charles Omenahu, who they picked up from Houston for a song and who played well for them this year. So they're losing those guys, and they need to make sure that they don't take a step back on defense. That's Javon Hargrave. Yeah, Jimmy Ward did a great job at slot corner for the 49ers Jimmy last Ward, year. Yep. He followed D'Amico Ryans to Houston as well. I'm with you, though. I love the Sam Darnold arrival because it brings some stability to the quarterback position when they don't know what Brock Purdy is going to be from a health standpoint with the elbow surgery that just happened a week ago. Trey Lance, who knows? Kyle Shanahan has really liked Sam Darnold for a long time. So you feel like they're going to stabilize the offense, hold firm on the defense, still one of the elite teams in the NFL doing what they can to try to get over the hump, get back to a Super Bowl, win it for the first time in what would be nearly 30 years. All right, let's take a break. Dak Prescott weighs in on the departure of Ezekiel Elliott from the Dallas Cowboys. We'll tell you what he had to say next here on PFT. That's tough. Uh, a brother, um, playing the game with a brother, being able to, 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 to start this NFL career and uh, share share so many memories and um, grow up as men, grow up as men uh, with, throughout the, with this organization. I really can't imagine taking the field without him. Uh, something I don't know if it's completely hit me yet. Um, obviously, I've talked to, him, talked to him. I'm hurt. I'm sure he is, but it's more important for me just to be able to uh, support him. I know he's got more opportunities coming his way. And uh, love that guy. Proud of him. Um, number one supporter in here for him no matter what. Dak Prescott, Cowboys quarterback, sporting that awesome Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year logo pin on his jacket. Of course, he won it this year. He was acknowledged at the Super Bowl. And he got booed because there were a bunch of Eagles fans in the building. Shame, shame. Walter Payton, man of the year, Dak Prescott, congratulations on that. Now, Ezekiel Elliott gone, and I, I can't fathom this, Peter, and we've done this before. Emmett Smith left the Cowboys. Tom Brady left the Patriots. Aaron Rodgers is leaving the Packers. I just can't visualize Ezekiel Elliott wearing any uniform other than the Dallas Cowboys. I thought they'd work something out and keep him around at a reduced salary, but this is where we are. He's released. We knew this was coming. It would have happened last year, frankly, but for a contract structure that guaranteed his 2022 pay in 2021. We've reached the end of the guarantees. He's gone. He had an eight-figure salary. They're paying Tony Pollard $10.1 million this year under the franchise tag. So free agent, Ezekiel Elliott on the market, and uh, we see what happens next. And there is, I'm told, a slim chance, but not. I think Slim is even overstating it, that he goes back to the Cowboys. I think he's going to pick his next destination, and he's going to try to find a spot where he can do what he hasn't done in Dallas, which is at least get to a conference championship game. So 
You know, I don't think that you can look back on that contract he signed in 2019 and say it was a bad idea or a bad deal by the Cowboys. I will only say that the Dallas Cowboys for four years of Ezekiel Elliott, the last four years, paid $50.1 million and got, on average, a 1,054-yard season over those four years. Now, that's not bad, and that's not... I, I wouldn't even be all that critical of it. But to me, Ezekiel Elliott is a great example why... As unfortunate as it is for running backs, Ezekiel Elliott is a great idea, great example why you don't pay running backs anymore. You know, you don't pay them a huge second contract. It's why, in my opinion, the Minnesota Vikings, who paid Alexander Madison some this week, I would be surprised now if they now go and pay Dalvin Cook. And and the whole reason is, Mike, that. Over the last two years, anyone can see that the most important, most valuable running back on the Dallas Cowboys has been Tony Pollard, who they got for a song, you know, a lightly regarded guy who just came in and kept playing better than Ezekiel Elliott over the last two years. Averaged one yard more per carry over the last couple of years than Ezekiel Elliott did. And it's not, again, this is not being critical of of Elliot, it's simply stating the fact that there are a lot of people who can do this job, and to pay one of them twelve million a year on average over the last four years. And I understand Jerry Jones took him high in 2016, fourth or fifth pick overall. And I understand that there's a certain affection that you want this guy to work, that you want it all to happen, and you want it to be great. And again, I just think it's a great illustration of why you don't pay running backs huge money. Well, the supply outweighs the demand, plain and simple. And the problem is, Sims and I were talking about this earlier in the week, for a lot of these guys, the best years happen under slotted rookie contracts where no one can do anything about it. You can't get a new deal until three years in if you're a draft pick. So the team just sits back, watches the yards rack up, the touchdowns hit the board, and we're in a great spot. We're spending money on other players. Then if you have a guy who becomes a star, you have to pay him. And the one thing I'll say about the Cowboys contract, and it is 2022, there's no way they would have paid him $12.4 million last year if that money hadn't become fully guaranteed in 2021. And they weren't going to cut him in 2021 after paying him for two years and owing him his full salary for 2021. They just weren't going to do it. So they, they overplayed their negotiating hand, both with Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, and got themselves into very difficult contracts with both players by thinking they could do the, you play for the Cowboys, you'll make plenty of money off the field. Why don't you do a, 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 a favor for us and do a team friendly deal? And both guys refused to do it. And Elliot made a lot more money than he would have by holding firm. And Prescott has as well. So we'll see if the Cowboys misplay it with some of these star players they're going to have coming up 
and try to get them to do team-friendly deals and have it blow up in their faces. Because both guys, Elliott and Prescott, blew up in the faces of the Cowboys, and they paid both of them a lot more than they would have had to if they would have been more reasonable on the front end. And now, as I said, Elliott, I'm told he's looking closely at scheme, coaching staff, how much they run the ball, and he wants to win. He said, well, he's won in Dallas. He wants to win more than he's won in Dallas. And, and that narrows the universe of teams to the high-end contenders. And you have to ask yourself, you know, would the Buffalo Bills make a play for Ezekiel Elliott? Wouldn't that be something if you had him? And then there's the question, too, Peter, of how much gas is left in the tank and for what it costs you to bring in Ezekiel Elliott and the expectation that you'll be feeding him the ball over and over and over again, especially if you pay significant money to get him, you can draft someone. You draft the right guy in round four, he could be a superstar right out of the gates. That's to your point, that there's just plenty of guys out there that can do it. Why overspend for any one of them? And it's that's what I say about running backs right now. You notice this week, you know, have you heard one thing about Kareem Hunt? I mean, Kareem Hunt, won the NFL rushing title in 2017, has been uh, sort of a distant number two in Cleveland, you know, almost since then, Mike, you you know, so, so I, I think it is basically teams saying we're going to budget X amount of dollars for the running back position. I would bet that, Kareem Hunt is sitting there saying, okay, I'm waiting for the one team that's going to pay me X. I don't know, $7 million a year. I, I, I invent the number. I don't know. And people are saying, why should we do that? Because there are other guys out here that we like who we can pay $4 million a year to and who are going to play really well for us or who we can take in the third round or fourth round and then we're paying them $1.7 million a year or whatever the number would be. So running backs, you, you said it, you said, you know, the, the supply far outstrips and far outweighs, you know, the, the demand that uh, NFL teams have at the running back position. So far this year, Miles Sanders leads the way with $6.25 million per year on a four-year deal. 6.25, that's the high watermark for unrestricted free agency for running backs. So the three running backs who were franchise tagged this year, we mentioned Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, the other two, they should be thrilled. They're getting 10.1 million because who knows what they would have gotten if they had landed on the open market. Let's take a break. We'll have more PFT live for you right after this. This is a week in the NFL when not a lot of actual journalism happens. It's agents with group text messages to various reporters, and they send out the very self-serving characterization of the terms of deals, and the reporters race to Twitter, and whoever has the fastest thumbs gets the credit for being first on something that was essentially announced by the agent. And again, a lot of times, the original tweet mischaracterizes the deal. It's the quid pro quo. I say that because Jay Glazer told me years ago, Peter, the the, the real journalism in this business is finding out the stuff they don't want us to know. And I had something fall into my lap yesterday, and I wasn't looking for it. It just kind of fell out of the sky. And I actually, for a change, made phone calls, got confirmation, sought comment from the team 
before I actually reported it, which all good journalists do, including the not good ones like me. End result. And I didn't know this, and this wasn't out there. The Snyders have cleared out of the commander's facility. It actually happened in late December. They are gone. They are ghosts. And apparently Snyder is living in London now. Uh, And secondly, within the building, the word being used as it relates to the sale of the team is imminent. And uh, some other people I talked to believe that it could all happen by the meetings in Arizona. There's a lot that needs to happen behind the scenes for that to occur. Usually we find out someone's buying the team and then they go to the meetings, have a finance committee report and they do the vote. I think what the league wants to try to do, Peter, is do it all in one fell swoop and they emerge from a meeting in Arizona with an announcement there's a new owner for the commanders and no one says anything publicly about it before then. I feel like that's where this may be heading. Mike, you know why that makes sense? It makes sense because uh, the longest investigation, uh, you know, the now the, I guess it's 13 or 14 month Mary Jo White investigation. Tell me why would an investigation take 13 or 14 months? An investigation which there's so much already known about it via the reporting of the Washington Post, via the lawsuit by the cheerleaders uh, and, and, and others, uh, I, I should say, I, I, let me rephrase that, via the lawsuit by former employees. Uh, and there's so much out there already and so many people willing to talk about this. You tell me one good reason why after however many months, 14, 13 months, why there's no report yet? I deduce well, after covering the National Football League for 39 years that <laughs> the reason is that they are trying to basically use this as a cudgel over Daniel Snyder and basically say to Daniel Snyder, hey, listen, we don't necessarily have to uh, put any of this out uh, if you sell your franchise completely. And he has probably reached the conclusion right now. In order to, and I would say the only way, the only way to ameliorate the situation in Washington, to fix it, the only way is for Daniel Snyder to sell the team. That's it. So the only announcement that the NFL could make, the only one that would satisfy anyone in Washington is that Snyder is selling the team completely and fully. And back to the point that we made in segment one about the timing of the Panthers-Bears trade. Once you know You're getting something really good. You just get it done when you can get it done before somebody can change their mind. I think that's why they want to get all this done. Keep it quiet. Don't have an announcement that whoever is buying the team, and I don't know who the favorite is to buy the team, but whoever has emerged as the one that will be buying the team, don't have an announcement and a five-week buildup to the final act because 
who knows what Snyder would do between the announcement of the winning bidder and the finalization. Just get it all done, keep it all quiet, have it announced, and we just move on. I agree with you, Peter. This Mary Jo White investigation has been delayed not by accident. And people get confused because organizations like the NFL like to throw around the term independent investigation, which creates the impression that they're just surrendering control of the entire process to someone who comes in, takes over, lets the investigation go wherever the facts will lead and comes to a conclusion that the person who hired the investigator may hate. That's not how it works, folks. It's not an independent investigator. It's an outside lawyer doing the bidding of the person who has hired that lawyer. And the fact that Mary Jo White keeps getting assignment after assignment after assignment after assignment from the NFL means she's giving them what they want. The client wants a certain thing. The client doesn't reduce it to writing. The client sometimes doesn't articulate it. One of the reasons that outside lawyers are good at their job is they know how to pick up on what the client wants. And what the client has wanted here, I believe, is a process that takes just long enough, just long enough. So nothing is reported, nothing is released, nothing is said, nothing is done until Daniel Snyder has signed all the paperwork necessary to surrender control of the team to the next owner. I agree with you completely. And we may never see, ever. And they'll have, an, they'll have an excuse for it. They'll have an excuse why they never released it. It's not relevant anymore. Snyder's gone. Whatever it is, they'll give us something with a straight face. We're never going to find out what Mary Jo White found out that may have been that cudgel, as you used the term accurately, kind of an SAT word, to get Daniel Snyder to leave. All right, we got to take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Well, Peter got two SAT words in in the same soundbite last segment. Cudgel first, a short, thick stick used as a weapon, and number two, ameliorate. Not high-end, not quite in the category of palaver, but still good enough. Words you would see on the SAT. So, see, kids, there's reason to hang around and pay attention. You may learn some stuff. You learned a good curse word, alternative curse word this week in FEC. And we wrap up the week of FEC with an email that I received during the show from our friend Liam, not Liam McHugh, a different Liam altogether, pointing out to me that there is a town in Ireland that is known as Terminfecken. So now on my itinerary for when I inevitably go to the UK, I will find and stand for a photo with the sign, and I have found the photo of the sign welcoming newcomers to Terminfecken, Peter. It sounds like the end of Fecken, Terminfecken. So, yes. like, it, 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 <laughs> well, might be, it, it might be the end of that county in County Cork or County Blarney. And happy St. Patrick's Day. It's actually Day County Louth. It's County Louth in Ireland, where Terman Feckin be. I don't be. know what that is. Uh, so uh, I don't know. We, what we that end is. we end Feckin Week. We terminate Feckin Week. Although I have a feeling we'll hear the word again next week. Uh, one last note: Mike Gesicki, franchise tag by the Dolphins last year, but completely underutilized considering he got franchise tag money. He takes his gritty to New England and signs a one-year deal worth up to nine million. 
Another guy. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't think Bill Belichick's going to let him do that, Peter. Let's hope not. It's pathetic. It looks like I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, well, John U. Smith out. Mike Gusecki in. Some weapons for the Patriots as they reformulate the offense under Billy O'Brien. Happy St. Patrick's Day to him and everyone out there, Irish or not. Drink responsibly on St. Patrick's Day, and uh, we'll keep you updated all week. I've already had PFT four Guinnesses, Mike. Free agent moves. Check out Football Morning in America. It could be extra entertaining if Peter drinks all weekend. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.